everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me today. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com. And so today, we are going to be talking about uh, First Responders Peer Support Network, and we have our good friend Eric Steve. Stevenson, who is going to talk to us about, you know, not only his story, his background, but uh, the First Responders Peer Support Network, what that's all about, and how they can serve you. And so with that, uh, Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, listen, I am so glad that we could hook up together and give you a chance to talk about the work that you guys are doing. So uh, first of all, just want you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit, a little bit about you. Well, I'm Eric Stevenson. I live in Newport, North Carolina, um, and I am retired out of the fire department. A uh, total of 30 years, 25 on the job, uh, five years uh, um, to make my 30, uh, including my volunteer time. Um, gave me my 30 years. Um, worked primarily in North Carolina, the, the coastal area of North Carolina, several different municipal fire departments. Um, I did do a short stint with the, the federal government up at Cherry Point Marine Corps Air Station, um, but got drawn back to Atlantic Beach Fire Department here in Carteret County. And um, that's where I did most of my, my career was in Atlantic Beach. Um, and I ended my career, not really the way that I wanted to, um, just this past year, I did get approved to go out on a medical disability due to PTSD, anxiety, and depression issues, um, which stemmed from an entire career worth of calls. Um, you know, as first responders, we see not so not so pleasant things sometimes. Um, and over on the, the coastal side of things here in North Carolina, we do, unfortunately, we covered a lot of beach area and involved a lot of ocean rescues and drownings and things like that. Um, and I struggled for a really long time uh, with my PTSD. And it wasn't until about four years ago or so that um, my prior fire chief, who was actually my best friend also, uh, Chief Adam Snyder, uh, came to me and he started disclosing some information to me about things that he was dealing with. And it was all PTSD. It was work-related things, calls we had gone to, um, ocean rescues, fires, things like that. And um, he started confiding in me uh, some of these things that he had been dealing with. Um, and as he was telling me his journey and his stories, I could relate to everything that he was telling me, uh, anxiety issues and, um, depression, nightmares, flashbacks, not being able to sleep. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, I, I feel the same way that you do. Um, but I never, I never disclosed that to Adam as he was telling me these things, um, I thought that the best thing I could do was just be there for my best friend and, and my chief. You know, if he was going to tell me these things, I was going to sit there and listen to him. And I didn't realize how important it probably should have been for me at that time to, to really open up to him also. And, um, 
we could have we could have really shared at that point and probably been a lot more beneficial to each other um, than me just trying to, to be stone-faced to him and just be there as a listening ear to him. Um, let him know that, hey, man, you're, you're not alone. I feel the same exact way. Um, but I neglected to do that. Um, I went on this roller coaster ride with Adam for about three and a half years or so, um, where every once in a while he'd call me in the office or he'd call me at home and just, Hey, I, I got to talk. Um, and I'd sit there and I'd listen to him. Um, and it wasn't until hurricane Florence came through, um, here in the Eastern part of North Carolina, um, to where I, I really realized that I was having some serious issues. Um, I knew that I was struggling. I was having nightmares. I wasn't able to sleep, had some depression and uh, a whole lot of anxiety going on. Um, but the one thing that really pushed me over the edge was Hurricane Florence. You know, anybody that lives on the East Coast, especially from uh, South Carolina up to about the, the Virginia area, um, knows how significant that storm could have potentially been for us here on the coast. Um, and my wife is also a first responder and this was the first major storm that the two of us were going to have to face together, uh, since we had been married and we were both going to have to leave and be at work. Um, we were potentially looking at a category four hurricane, um, making direct landfall, on the east coast of north carolina um and so i had a whole lot of anxiety built up as this storm was coming through had some family issues couldn't get my my mother to leave town things like that uh and i completely broke down um i dumped all my stuff out on the table the night before my wife and i were supposed to go to work uh the next morning and I admitted everything that was going on with me, my, my anxiety, my depression, my suicidal ideations, things like that. Um, and it was, it was pretty intense to say the least. Um, my wife and I, we say goodbye the, the next morning, we both go to work. Um, and my wife had to leave about an hour and 45 minutes before I had to, to report to work. And, I'm sitting at the house and I, I was contemplating on whether to take my life or try to ride this storm out. Um, and I immediately called Adam and I asked him where he was. He told me that he was going to work. Um, and I told him that I, I would meet him at the firehouse. And as soon as I did, uh, we went up to his office. He said, you don't look too good this morning. I said, no, sir. Um, and, I completely broke down to to my best friend. You know, I didn't consider Adam my fire chief at that particular moment. I just needed somebody to to talk to and air out the way that I felt. And Adam looked at me and Adam was six foot three, two hundred and fifty pounds. And um he jumped up from behind his desk when I started telling him what was going on with me. And he just gave me a big old hug and he says, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? He said, I didn't see it. I said, well, just like you and your story, I said, I didn't see it until you actually said anything to me. Um, and right there, Adam saved my life. Um, he told me that he'd take care of me during the storm. 
which which he did. He watched out for me, uh, which I was gr- very grateful for. Uh, literally, I wasn't out of his sight for any more than five to ten minutes at the most during the three days that we were stuck at the firehouse during the hurricane. Um, and Adam kept a, a pretty close eye on me. We had a lot of deep conversations, you know, wee hours of the morning with the storm coming through, things like that. Lots of tears shed. And um, the very next day, uh, after we were cleared from the firehouse, the next day, Adam had me in touch with the first therapist that I had ever talked to. Um, He told me that he would get me the help that I needed, and he did. He helped me with that. Um, And for the the next six months after Hurricane Florence, every day that I reported into work, the first 30 to 45 minutes of my day consisted of sitting in Adam's room, uh, Adam's office, and we would pretty much do a buddy check, make sure that we were both okay. Um, I was talking to my therapist, things like that. Um, still not being honest, a hundred percent honest with really what was going on. Um, my wife had that one glimpse of things and that was it. I tried to protect my wife, um, and not tell her really everything that was going on with me, um, up to that moment right there. And, um, March of 2018, I ended up losing Adam in a skiing accident, uh, and that was absolutely devastating to me. Um, I thought that I lost the one person in my life that truly understood where I was, what I was going through, and could really relate to what was going on with me. Um, and so I, I was absolutely crushed. I was devastated. Um, absolutely hated working at the beach during the summer so we had to plan adam's funeral we were ramping up for the summer season over the beach and the calls kept on coming and so the the bad stuff just keep it kept accumulating you know i lost adam we're still seeing bad calls we're still you know responding things like that and i i was just trying to survive um I was having a really hard time struggling with the loss of Adam. Uh, and I really wasn't living. I was in pure survival mode every single day. I was trying to figure out reasons to try to stay alive rather than take my own life. Um, and it, it was a scary, scary, dark time for me. Um, we went through the summer, absolutely horrible summer. We had several drownings that year, and um, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was up to my eyeballs, uh, and I finally went and I reported to work one morning, saw my new fire chief, and I told him what was going on with me and that I I needed some serious help. Um, I was put out of work on on workman's compensation, um, and I was still seeing my therapist. We were trying to figure out what to do, things like that. And I found a treatment facility up in Vermont. Um, the Brattleboro Retreat had a program called the Uniform Services Personnel Program. And it was strictly first responders, military people, things like that. And um, I ended up going up to, to Vermont, which was supposed to be a only a two-week program. And I ended up spending six and a half weeks up in Vermont. Um, and I felt really, really good. 
learned a lot of things up there about myself, learned a lot of things about the way I was mismanaging things, the way I was handling things. And um, one of the biggest things that I realized while I was there is that I lost complete touch in who I was. Um, I'd related to the fire department for so long throughout my career that I'd lost touch that I, I was a husband and that I was, I was a provider for my wife and contrary to, to some people that you might talk to that I'm a, I'm a kind hearted, caring individual. Um, and I had lost sight of that myself and all I could think of was the fire department, the fire department, the fire department. This is all I know. This is all I've ever done. This is all I ever wanted to do. And the thought of walking away from it really kind of scared me because uh, I didn't know what else I would do or that I could do. Um, but it took me going to Vermont to realize that if I wanted to truly live again and be happy and not be miserable every single day of my life and think that I needed to die, I felt the only choice I had was come back and walk away from the fire department. Um probably the second hardest decision I've ever had to do. Um, first one, of course, was admitting I had a problem and that I needed some help uh, with my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back and I decided that I was going to leave the fire department. And so I had, uh, submitted my paperwork for my medical disability retirement. Um, which was not an easy process. Uh, workman's comp kind of, kind of through, through some kinks in the plan there. Um, the retirement system at one point I was told they didn't know what to do with me, um, because it, they had told me they had never had a first responder try to retire due to PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Um, so it was a, a very lengthy process. And during that process, there were some some restrictions put on me uh, through the state of North Carolina, which put me back into my depression. And I started to have a, a downward spiral again. Um, no matter what I tried to do to, to get myself out of that hole, I couldn't. Um, so I was depressed almost every single day. I had a lot of anxiety built up again and the suicidal thoughts started creeping back into my head. Um, my therapist knew this. She was writing letters on my behalf, things like that. And um, one night, just about a year ago in September, um, my wife looks at me as we were having dinner and I, I was trying to play it off the best I could, hoping that my wife didn't realize what was going on. And um, my wife just looks at me one night at dinner she says do you think that it's time to go back somewhere and i just completely broke down and i said thank god i said (laughs) you know how long have you known she said i've known for quite a while and we had a pretty long talk about it and made me feel a little bit better and i made the decision that i was going to go back to another treatment facility Um, unfortunately covid had already come through Uh, and had a pretty good grasp on things by that point. And Brattleboro Retreat, their USP program, was shut down due to COVID. Um, I contacted four or five other treatment centers that I had found online 
and I am standalone mental health. Um, I don't have an addiction issue. I don't have a substance abuse problem. And I was having a hard time finding a facility that would take just standalone mental health. Um, and just out of happenstance one night, I get a call from one of the therapists that used to be at the USP program. And she asked how things are going on my side of things. And I told her not too well, uh, that I was actually looking for somewhere else to go again. And she just happens to tell me, she says, well, myself and two of the other therapists that used to be at, at USP have opened up a, a new facility. Would you like to come up? And I was like, thank gosh, you know, I finally found somewhere I can go again. Um, so last December, I ended up going back to, to Vermont. Um, what I refer to as my tune-up period. I went back up there for another two weeks. Um, I did. I got tuned up. I learned a few more new tricks that I could bring home and try to stay on top of my um, my recovery process. And um, I felt really good when I came home. And I felt like I had more support for my wife the second time that I came home. And I don't know if it's because I, I was more honest or whether my wife was actually showing more concern for me. I, I really don't know. I think it was probably a little bit of both. But um, when I came home the second time, uh, things were a lot different at home. Um, we were a lot more open. We were a lot more a lot more verbal communication between the two of us. I wasn't trying to hide things from her. If I was having a bad day, I'd let her know that I was having a bad day. Um, and I felt really, really good. And I started getting, getting scared at around month three, three and a half that I was home because I knew that's when I started to have my down, my downward slide after the first time. Um, and we were having a conversation one night. My wife asked me, she said, how come you didn't tell me you were struggling so bad uh, before you went back to Vermont the second time? And I thought about it for a minute or so. And I told her, I said, you know, I feel like I, I failed. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I went there because I wanted to be here for you the first time. And I was kind of ashamed to admit that I would, I had gotten right back to the same place that I was, you know, not even a year ago. And um, we had a good old cry that night. And my wife looks at me and she said, you didn't fail. She said, what you go through every single day is no different than what an alcoholic goes through, mm -hmm. uh, a recovering alcoholic. And it's okay to have a relapse. And that's the first time I had ever heard that. And it made sense to me. Um, not a whole lot of sense, but it did make sense. And I see it now during my recovery process where days, some days are good, some days are bad. And I still, I still struggle every once in a while, but not like I used to. Um, and that, that just made me feel so much better. Um, and that led me into wanting to start my my own peer support program um, because I, I figured that if I could find something that was bigger than myself to focus on, that it would, it would help me with my, my recovery process. Um, I 
Adam had actually got me involved in peer support um, through a, another local team in here in North Carolina. And I thought it was pretty cool, but I realized very quickly that I was using peer support for the wrong reasons. Um, I figured the more people that I could help, the better that it would make me feel. And I wasn't doing it for the right reason. And I learned very quickly that I was hurting myself more than I was helping myself or helping other people. Um, and that put me in a bad spot also. Um, but in February, um, I decided that I was going to start the, the first responders peer support network. Um, not a whole lot of, of resources in the Carteret County area when it comes to actual one-on-one -on -one peer support, things like that. Um, old school mentality that, you know, we don't need to talk, you know, we'll bottle things up. We'll be okay. Uh, the suck it up buttercup kind of things. And, um, I said, I'm, I'm going to do this. So I got a hold of, of a few local, uh, friends that I knew. We started talking about peer support, putting a program together, things like that. And um, where we are now, you know, seven months later, um, I have a I have an actual 501c3 nonprofit organization, the First Responders Peer Support Network, housed right here in in Carteret County, and it has blown up bigger than I ever thought as quickly as it did. Um, I have over 40 team members right now. Um, we have teams in, in North Carolina. We're in eight different counties here in North Carolina right now. And I've got a, a chapter down in Florida. I work very closely with the low country peer support team, Gerald Michoud, um, in the, the South Carolina area. And I have a team up and running in Vermont now. Um, and it's been absolutely amazing for us. You know, we, we stay busy. We're taking phone calls. We're doing outreach classes. And it's, uh, it's probably one of the best things I've ever done um, on two different levels. One, I feel like I'm still involved with the first responder family. Even though I'm not an active first responder anymore, this still gives me that tie with the first responders that, I think is pretty crucial to my recovery. Um, and I'm still helping people, you know, completely different realm of, of how I'm helping people now. And I feel absolutely amazing. And the things that we're doing, I know are, are helping the first responders. It's helping the communities, the local fire departments, things like that. And it's been, it's been absolutely amazing. You know, the last seven months or so has been a, an unbelievable ride for us and myself and my team are really excited to see where things go and you know where this journey is actually going to lead us to well the, you know what and i i really appreciate you you know sharing your story and um let me just uh talk about our sponsor here real quick and then if you don't sure. mind i've got some follow-up questions for you so yeah. i really appreciate 
everything that you're, you're telling us. And uh, before we get to that, this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, and FHE Health has been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach. Recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community, they've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our community. So learn more at FHEHealth.com. So, um, Stephen, you know, um, that that's a very powerful story. And, you know... And for those that are in recovery, we know that our stories are used to help others as well. And and you touched on a point, and that is that, you know, helping others really helps us and having that purpose. You know, and oftentimes in recovery, as you know, I'm in, I'm in recovery, we talk about a higher power. And a lot of times people say, well, what does that mean? You know, I, are you, are you trying to push God on me? Or are you trying to push a religion on me? And no, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's just having a higher purpose. And you talked about that, you know, wanting to be a part of the, the first responder community, the fire community, and being in part of an organization to help others. And uh, how important do you think that is into where you are right now and in, in helping you? Uh, just get through and, and recover from from this situation. For me, it's huge. You know, when when I was struggling really bad, you know, some of my lowest of lows, I could barely see my hand in front of my face, and everything was was about me. You know, the, this is about me. That's about me. Blah blah blah. And I couldn't see you. Know, literally couldn't see, you know, past my own nose. Um, and yeah, my recovery, uh, my survival was all about me. You know, if I didn't keep that at the forefront, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you today. So that aspect, yes, that was 100%. I had to be focused on staying alive every day. Uh, now that I am alive and I've learned how to live again, what helps me going every day is I kind of relate it to the movie Hacksaw Ridge with that medic up on top of that hill of, you know, saying, just, just give me one more, just give me one more. And that's the way I feel about our peer program that I know I won't have the opportunity to save everybody or somebody that comes to us. I might not be able to save that individual. And yes, they, they may end up losing their life, but I just want that one more opportunity. Give me one more person that calls our hotline or one person that hits us up on Facebook and says, have you got time to talk? Absolutely. I do, you know, because this is what I live for right now is to help first responders and let them know that they're not alone with their struggles and that their struggles are real. Their feelings are 100% real and I can help validate and relate to what they're going through. And if I can point them in the right direction, maybe just as it's that one-on-one phone conversation and they say, wow, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, can I call you back or, you know, can we stay in touch? Maybe that's all they need, but maybe they need a place like FHE. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that FHE is one of your sponsors mm-hmm. because I have a really good working relationship with, um, with FHE. Uh, we have facilitated several 
first responders here in North Carolina actually going down to FHE and getting help that they need, uh, both for substance abuse and for the mental health side of things. Um, I work with, well, not only FHE, I have five other treatment facilities um, that we do work very closely with that we vetted in and we make sure that all the resources that we have at our disposal are fit for first responders. Uh, so every one of the treatment facilities that we have has a first responder program associated with it. Uh, all the clinicians that I work with, um, they've been vetted in also and make sure that they have a first responder background and they can relate to what a first responder is going to have to talk to them about, uh, which I think is extremely important, uh, where people always want to know what the difference between us and like an EAP therapist or something might be, um, and why our therapists might be better, not saying that they're going to be better, but it's the way that they can relate to the people that we might be referring, referring them to, uh, is that they're, they're going to truly understand what a first responder sees, what a first responder goes through, what their typical work cycle might be of living in a firehouse for 24 hours, other than just like a regular, you know, eight or nine to five, uh, job because first responders are different that way. Uh, so we thought it was very important to have uh, vetted clinicians and vetted treatment facilities. Yeah. To, uh, and I'll tell you something else that I've run into lately, uh, particularly not so much on the fire side, but on the police side, which is, you know, my background, police and, and federal agent. Um, there has been such a backlash um, from the public towards police officers. And it, it really has Really, you take a profession just on the law enforcement side that tended to be sort of a closed-knit society to begin with, and then you take the the events of this last year, it's really made it even more so. And I would say that there's more of a need now to have clinicians that have that background and where first responders go in and feel like they have that safe space. Safe space that's needed more now than ever, I think. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. Um you know, I've been to a therapist before where, you know, what's going on and you start talking to them about, you know, something related work-wise and they've got to stop and you've got to explain what that particular thing is or a piece of equipment or a procedure that you were, you were trying to accomplish and they don't really understand what you're talking about or, What's even worse, going to a therapist and you start telling them some of the things that we see and that we do on a pretty regular basis. And next thing you know, your therapist is looking at you with the deer in the headlights look, or you can see that they are, you know, emotionally distraught themselves over a story that you're telling them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, <laughs> the therapist needs to go see a therapist now. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we, yeah. We want to make sure that the, the clinicians are going to be a good fit for the first responders that we're sending them to. Um, because I know how it was for me. It took me to hit absolute rock bottom before I finally decided to go to, to a therapist. And I don't want anybody else to have to think, well, I'm, I'm already at rock bottom. You know, is this therapist going to be good? Are they not going to be compatible? Are they not going to understand what I'm talking about? 
And the last thing that you want is to have a therapist that is not really geared towards a first responder. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was my experience, too. It was it was a real difficult thing because it is a lifestyle that very, very few people live. And, you know, and I always hear people say, well, we, we can understand. We can understand. No, no, you can't. And, and I've really. been through that myself. And I think it's critical, critical that if you are a first responder to get, into an area where you have you know other other first responders that are working with you and um, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're doing the work and you know it really helps you helps you as much as it helps them and and you talked about honesty and the importance of uh, truthfulness with with others um so yes. what was what was going on there and and maybe share with our listeners you know those that may be struggling right now because i i run into this you know quite a bit in people that i work with and the, it's just this inability to be truthful with one another and more importantly truthful with ourselves about the the true nature of the situation that we're in and i know for us working with first responders it's very difficult to make any headway if you're not first and foremost honest with yourself and others about what what you're going through or what you're feeling. You know, you can't right. unless we put our finger on what's going on and let others know what's going on, we're not going to get better. I mean, do you agree with that? Correct. Uh, 100%. And I know firsthand some of the reasons why why I why I wasn't being honest. Um, one we have a profession that is looked looked up upon you know that we are we do things that other people can't do um and we kind of get held to a higher standard sometime and unfortunately that that's bad right from the get-go that is bad um because when it comes down to the bottom line we're still human beings and we hurt just like anybody else and we have the same feelings as everybody else but we get built up that we are, I don't want to say better, uh, but we're, we're almost made out to be like superheroes with what we do as a police officer, as a firefighter, as a paramedic, whatever, you know, we're helping and we're saving people every day. And it's not right for us to show emotion. You know, we can't admit that we have problems. Uh, pride gets in the way a lot unfortunately, and it has cost a lot of people their lives. And it almost cost me my life uh, because I was too prideful to admit that I had a problem. You know, I'm the helper. I shouldn't be the one having to ask for help. But now I see it's 100% okay to ask for help. And I, I hope that people do realize that, that it's okay to ask for help. You are human. You do hurt. You do have feelings and you cannot keep that stuff bottled up. Eventually it's going to catch up to you. Um, and I think that, that sometimes, especially on the fire side of things, I don't, I don't have a law enforcement background, but I'm pretty sure there's probably not a whole lot of mental health that's discussed during rookie schools. Um, <laughs> no, no, I know on the fire <laughs> side, it's that way. We teach, we set ourselves up for failure. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll teach new firefighters coming in how to do every aspect of the job, how to put their gear on correctly, how to stretch hose, how to cut holes in roofs, how to cut people out of out of wrecked cars, how to put fires out, things like that. But what we don't teach is what do you do with that bad call once you go home? 
you know, what do you, even before that, what do you do when you get back to the firehouse? I know very few times that we ever went back to the firehouse and we talked about a drowning that we had out on the beach or a fatal house fire that we had gone to. We didn't really talk about all that stuff. You know, we talked about the good calls, you know, oh man, that was good, you know, whatever else, but you need to be, you need to be processing this in a healthy way. Uh, and unfortunately, I was not processing in a healthy way. I was shoving everything down, keeping it all bottled up. Um, other people, they might try to process, but they're doing it in unhealthy ways too of, you know, turning to alcohol turning to, to prescription medication or illegal substances uh, to try to mask what's actually going on, try to make them feel feel better about what they're dealing with. Um, you got to be honest with yourself. And once I was able to finally do that and admit that I had a problem, that I was struggling, I was scared to death. You know, one of the hardest things that I did was sit down with my shift at the firehouse one night and tell them what was going on with me. And I had all the fears that they weren't going to trust my decision making anymore. They was they were going to think I was weak, uh, that I didn't I couldn't do the job anymore. I had all those those weird thoughts going through my head. And it was 100 percent the opposite reaction of what I was thinking was going to happen. Um, the four of us sat down at the table there at the firehouse. I started telling them next thing I know, all four of us sitting there crying and they looked at me and they said, I, I would have never known. And I said, well, you know, just like you guys, if you're struggling, I don't know unless anything is, is said about it. Um, and it made me feel really good that people actually supported me. Mm -hmm. They didn't look at me differently. Like I had a, another head growing out of my shoulders or anything. And it was like a huge relief. that was lifted off my shoulders. Like, whew, thank gosh, I was able to get that out and that people you know, understood. They might not really understand what I was going through, but they understood that I was struggling and that's what was important to me. Um, so, People need to realize that it, it's okay to hurt and it's okay to feel that the way that you do and those feelings are valid and what you think might be the best thing for you of keeping that all bottled up inside is probably one of the most detrimental things that you can do mm -hmm. and that it is okay to reach out for help and have to have to make sure you're getting good people that you're reaching out to and that you have a good support system, but it is 100% okay to admit that you're, you're hurting. Yeah. Cause what I found in, in my career is that when I started talking about my issues with people that are around me, how many other people had the same issues and how many people um, had loved ones that had those issues, even if it wasn't them that had the, the same issue that I had, they at least knew somebody that had that issue. It affected everybody. And, right. you know, it really does, op it opens up those doors and, and it's just a discussion. Somebody has to start that discussion and I'm just so glad that you're doing it. And something else that you brought up that I've noticed over the years in law enforcement, there 
uh, in law enforcement and first responders in general, because I know fire departments are the same way to a large extent, corrections officers, uh, EMTs, uh, and, and the military for that matter. There aren't many jobs that are out there where a person identifies, their identity becomes that job. If you, if you follow what I mean, if, if I Correct. say I am an FBI agent, it, it's like, that's what I am. It's my persona. It's, it's what I am 24 seven. It's more than just a job. It, it's who you are. If you're a firefighter, it, it's who and what you are, uh, EMT, you know, so on and so forth. And there aren't many jobs that are like that. And I think that the problem with that is that you mentioned you didn't know what you were going to do when you left the fire department. You didn't know anything else. And that's a p- real problem because, you know, I was not born an FBI agent. I wasn't born uh, a naval officer or a police officer. And I'm not going to die that way either. At the end of the day, you're you. You are a human being. And I personally think that we need to do more work in constantly reminding people that, yes, this is an important career. It's an important, I'm not downplaying that at all, but you can't lose sight of who you are and have other interests and other things that you do because you're not going, let's face it, I don't care how much you love the fire department or the police department or whatever agency you're in, you're not going to be there forever. So what's the next step? And that's a, a cause of stress and depression and um, creates all, a whole host of issues for people when they don't keep that in perspective. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I was that way. I, I identified 100% that I was the fire department. Uh, military first responders, you ask, us, you ask us what we do. I'm with the fire department. You know, I'm I'm a police officer, I'm a firefighter, I'm a Marine, I'm a soldier, uh, whatever the case is, that's how the first responders identify as where if you asked if you ask the the guy that builds houses every single day, you know, the construction worker, you know, yeah, I'm I'm a framer, you know, I, I build houses. Um the person that works at a restaurant, you know, you don't hear the guy at McDonald's say I'm you know I like the subway analogy. Um, you know, the guy that works at subway, you don't hear him actually say I'm a sandwich artist. You know, he says I work at subway, you know, the person at Walmart or at the grocery store, the same thing. I, I work at food line and I work at Walmart and the, the first responders though, completely different. You know, we self-identify as that profession. Yeah, you don't um, say I work you at the fire department. Track. You say I am a fireman. You know, it it's it right. takes on a whole another connotation. Yes, it it really does, and we almost brainwash ourselves sometimes. And you cannot lose perspective of the other things that you are human. You are, like I said, the things that I lost track of, that I was a husband and that I was a provider and things like that. Um, I can survive doing anything I want now. And I know that. Uh, as where before, it scared me to death that I, I was going to have to leave the fire department. Um, do I miss it? Yeah, absolutely. I miss it. Um, but I... I had to try to balance my scales out. Do I want to go back to that? And there was no way I could go back and get to a point of recovery and maintain that when I was still introducing all the traumas that I was still trying to recover from. 
because I knew I was still going to see those same, those same types of incidents that got me there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, I had to do some serious soul searching and I had to figure out where my scales were going to balance out at for what was going to be best for me and my survival and my recovery. And with my wife, you know, where, where does she want us to be? And I knew that it wasn't the, the road that we had just come down. It's where, where we saw our future going. And it was not with the fire department. You know, it could not be with the fire department. And I had to make that decision. And I feel like I've made the best decision of my life. Yeah. You know, by doing what I'm doing now. Because it, it's it's serving people in a different way. And, Absolutely. You know, and this podcast actually is now for myself, that's an, an outgrowth of, you know, how do I continue to serve, you know, the people in the community uh, in, in a different way? And and that's yeah. and it's it's an important skill set because, you know, as you mentioned, this is not something that is routinely talked about, particularly with new people. And which I think is a big disservice uh, to the, the first responder community. We need to be doing more of this. And, you know, but we can't just sit around and talk about it. I mean, you and I are sitting here uh, talk, talking about this in order to help people now. I mean, at some point, somebody has to do something about it. And that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Uh, and we we meet resistance with it all the time. Um you know, doing outreach programs or contacting fire departments. Hey, would you like us to come in and, you know, maybe share something on mental health with your, with your folks, especially this month, September being uh, suicide prevention month. It is, and it's um, recovery month as well too. Yes. And we, we run into resistance all the time. It's almost like it's still a taboo subject mm-hmm. to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're grinding. You know, we're grinding every day to try to help break that stigma that it, it's okay to talk about this stuff. There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with it. And if you have success stories of people that have gone and gotten help either for substance abuse or for mental health disorders, that's great. Share those. Let other people know that, hey, look at this person. This is where they were six months ago or a year ago, or maybe even just as soon as just a few months ago, they're out, they're on the road to recovery. Share that, put them in a spotlight and and get that word out that you could do the same thing that I just did. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to show some vulnerability. You have to, to be willing to want to get the help and trust the process. I'm living proof. It can work, you know, and I, I try to push that as much as absolutely possible, but we, we still meet our roadblocks. So every once in a while, so it's a work in progress. It is, it is, but you're leading from where you stand leading from where you stand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I so appreciate you coming on now. Uh, do this for me. Uh, once again, just let our listeners know how they can get hold of you and get hold of first responders, peer support network. Sure. Um, you can get a hold of the First Responders Peer Support Network on Facebook. Just look us up, First Responders Peer Support Network. Um, we do have a website that is www.frpsn.org. And we do have a, a hotline, crisis line number, and that phone number is 833-377-7648. 
Well, Eric, this is it's been a pleasure talking with you and and I really applaud you for the work that you're doing. Um it's just it's so necessary out there and I'm just so glad that you came on today and and I know our listeners are getting a lot out of this and you know reach out to them. I'm going to be posting uh, this information on our Facebook site and then also uh, it will be wherever you're getting your podcast the information will be there as well so please reach out and and talk to these folks because it's just a, a phenomenal program and there's so many people that that need this and you know something if if you're not a first responder I know that's who we're talking about right now but if you are struggling with anything that Eric has talked about then make sure you get help as well and and I'm sure that you can reach out to this hotline and, and their website. And, and even if you're not a first responder, I'm sure they can connect you with, with anybody that will provide uh, the help that you need. So please do that as well. And again, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. So FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and clear for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. So folks, as always, I, I want to say that I don't represent any group. You know, I don't represent anyone other than myself. And my only purpose is giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and maybe it's going to help you too. So if I've said anything or if Eric has said anything that does not apply to you or you don't agree with, then then discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, again, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about because I'd love to hear from you. Guys, you take care of yourselves out there and we'll be talking with you soon. Thanks. Thanks.